Yo, man. Boom, it's Rusty. I think I already got it going. Now it says it records when I start the the thing because I have a note-taking thing. Doesn't matter. Uh, what does matter is I am here today and I'm doing a show like I did on Friday with uh, Ashley Sanders. And what we did there, we didn't really want to know too much about each other. We just wanted to kind of just hop right in and do it. And that's what I'm going to do today. Let's make this uh, fun, make it interesting, a little bit of a challenge. So let's do this. I'm going to bring right here, right now, here's Jax. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. This is uh, podcast number three of the day. So I'm I'm getting going. Uh, wow, three of the day. The yeah, it's usually two a day, but yes, yeah, three today. So this is just, I, I wouldn't know. This morning I was on one. So I guess it's like two and a half. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have to produce anything, but it's not a... Uh, not about me right now. So is it about you is what this podcast is today. So where, okay, so you were telling me right before, so we did talk for a second to let everyone know about that. And you said you were on a podcast before. And mm -hmm. so what, what got you to say, hey, I want to start being on podcasts. I think I need to get my name and my story out because... Because I'm a big deal. No, I'm just kidding. Right. I'm kidding. That's an awesome answer. I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, so uh, no, I just, um, you know, I'm nothing special. I'm nothing, you know, special. I just, I have, I started out in life with not the best footing and it's kind of trickled through that through my whole life. Uh, until, you know, I'm 36 right now. And, um, you know, the scenarios that you think wouldn't happen or you see on TV or, or things of that nature, it's like people look at me and go, that you've gone through that? That's, that's happened to you? Or, but I'm also very uh, animated and um, it's, storytelling is something, you know, I can impersonate people. Uh, you know, people have commented and said, you need to be, you know, stand up comedian. And I'm like, I can't make things up on the fly. You know, it just comes out of my mouth and at the Isn't inappropriate times, you Isn't know, that making things up on the spot. That's what, that's what you should get into improv for. Don't go into stand up. go, go for improv. I've done improv in high school and I actually nailed it, but there's just, I don't know. I haven't, you know, I'm in Arkansas. I don't know. Are you? I'm, I'm in Connecticut. Okay. So, so in, we're down here in the South. Right. So there's not, there's not much of that kind of sort of uh, entertainment. There's not a lot of improv troops in uh, yeah, where you are. I kind of see down here in the South, um, nobody would behave with that. Well, how are you with them? Um, with getting along with people or like, so if you were to do something like that, if you were to start one, mm -hmm. uh, how, how would you, how would that react with the crowd? Would they just be like, no, this is, this isn't right. Uh, get this out of here. Pull the plug <laughs> on you. You know, I would just kind of, I would do what I do when I meet somebody 
for the first time, I kind of would just evaluate, like kind of evaluate, you know, hey, I'm, you know, introducing myself and then kind of linger into opening questions of like, you know, make a snarky remark and see how they react. And, uh, you know, one thing that is in my stand-up com- comedy is, you know, a lot of stuff could be taken offensive because that's just life. A li- life has offended me a lot. And don't do any in any big city. That's, you can't, you, not can't anymore. Do- oh. Not, you, you, if you're going to offend people, you can't. Well, pay- so no, but you, if you're in a big city, actually down in the South, it might be different. Well, if you go, yeah. yeah, it's like, kind of like that. It's kind of like this comedian, you know, he goes, man, I wish I was gay, you know, like, and when he went on, it was hilarious because he just, he, he brought out, you know, they have, first of all, I mean, they have the best wardrobe and that's probably because they were hiding in the closet for so long. They were just like accumulating, you know, their wardrobe yeah. and you know how he tied that in, you know, of they have a spectacular, this? I can't remember. He's on okay. TikTok um, and they, he actually duetted Ryan Reynolds on it because it was such a oh. good like stand up. Yeah. And um and so like my one of my thing is a joke is you, you know my my niece is 12. <clears throat> and I am no one I don't know if people can see me but I am half Filipino and I am the other half is a mixture of Native American and a little bit of Irish. Okay. And yeah, I- so and I was adopted. I was adopted three times. Where so, were you adopted? I was born in the Philippines. Um, and that's a whole story in itself. And then we came stateside when I was two. What, what's uh, the story? Uh, if, you, if you don't want to go into it, we don't have to go into it. But I, I'm just, well, I'm curious we can, now. We can, we, no, we can go into it. It was okay. um, my biological mother um by military uh who didn't want to claim us so she had me and my twin i have a twin i don't know oh. if I forgot. yeah okay i have an identical twin as well uh and in the philippines to make money or to support each other uh she would go to work and then each baby has a nanny and that nanny is taken care of by not being paid, but having a roof over her head and being fed by whatever the, my biological mother could provide. Um, a tsunami came through about six months through and my nanny, I guess, just ran because um, I was just sitting on the floor and my biological sister's best friend who was married to a military man took me to their house and it was about a week till she came to get me, my biological mom. And they offered, Hey, we can give, we can get them a green card. Um, he can come forward and he, he can say that he is birth father since she put nobody on the birth certificate. 
and we will go to the States and then we'll prepare a spot for you to come over once we are settled. And, but we can be the guardians. And I knew growing up that if I was anything like my biological mother, she didn't have, she didn't give me up like looking to give me up or searching to give me up. And so this whole story of the adoption is what I found out after I found her. And so I was right because she said the one thing that the reason why she obliged and said yes was because I had a new pair of socks on. What's that mean? She couldn't even provide a pair of socks. You know. Okay. So And so that is what made her make up the mind to say yes because I can't even provide the simplest things. Yeah. And, and socks. Yeah, just just socks, you know. And but to her, you know, in the Filipino culture once your friends, your family. And to her, it wasn't really an adoption. You know, it was just like she was going to go stateside and then she was going to come. And but they never did that. They never set that up. They had their own child. Then he got called Desert Storm. They divorced. But during that time, I started getting abused around the age of two. And this was in the States? Yes. Um, where was there, this? Um, this was um, in Arkansas. Okay. Uh, so you went from the Philippines to Arkansas. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so domestic domestic violence, uh, sexual abuse, uh, neglect, abandonment. Uh, there was just a lot that happened. And when he got called to Desert Storm, he was like, I can't leave these kids with her. Uh, and his parents wouldn't take us. They would only take his child. So, wow. uh, yeah. So at the age of five, I was adopted again to my current parents, um, of which, um, my dad passed away uh, May 2021. Sorry. And it, he, uh, you know, when you grow up in your first experience with violence is in those first four to five years of your cognitive development, There is a whole, and, and nobody takes care of you at that time to correct. It was only in the past 10 years that I was able to hug my dad frontwards. Because I would get anxious because of the fear. What uh, do you mean? What do you mean frontwards? Like, you know, I would always just do a side hug or okay. like that. I wouldn't ever do like an intimate, I love you, dad, hug until, sure. the, past, until the past 10 years where um, I dealt, you know, I went to therapy for a little bit and dealt with some things. Um, 
my twin didn't it was like we had two different childhoods I was the one that blocked her or protected her um she excelled in school um of course you know they do the black and white thing on twins you know who's crazy who's smart who's yada 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 and my mom kind of did the same thing or and does the same thing my mom now not not my biological mom uh, so so did she instill that in you that you're the that she, that your twin is the good good twin and you're the you're the bad twin yes i don't um uh, sorry i, I you, you yeah, can no, swear if you went on here okay no it's fine um yeah she everything about it was i learned conditioned love and my father was the only man and only person in my life that looked at me with unconditional just pure unconditional love just no harm no hidden agenda no he could say the hard truth in such a gentle way and my ex-husband served me divorce papers a week following his burial whoa so and there was a lot uh, still of open wounds of trauma like abandonment that I had not addressed in therapy yet. Uh, you know, I have complex PTSD. Remind me to talk to you after words okay. about, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my, my mom, you know, she, I would tell her like in fourth grade, I can't see the board. She goes, oh, it's just because you have allergies. Oh, he's um, gaslighting you. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Here's my glasses. Okay. And even these, I need a stronger prescription. But anyway, and um, when I was in high school, you know, I struggled to take notes and um, keep up. And, and I told her, you know, because she was like, if you cared, you would do better. I had ADHD. And that wasn't, I wasn't tested until I started going to college and I started working at a, a psychiatric clinic and they tested me because of the way I performed. Like I could do a lot of tasks and bundle them, but I couldn't ever complete one. Yeah. And it, it wasn't really a thing. There was maybe like, I'm 40 and there, so there was probably like five kids in my grade that of, you know, couple hundred kids that you know had ADHD or ADD or something and mm -hmm. took rid took Ritalin and stuff and but I mean sure I I had I found out yeah when I was in college and um I mean yeah it would have been a lot easier yeah it makes a world of a difference yeah and I mean and my confidence just went up like and I told her I was like I'm not crazy and it's not because I didn't care Look at my test results. I scored really, really high. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so. And so she, um, she would always, 
she's been domestic with me. Um, she has told me many times to leave her life, but she wants her grandson. What What do you mean she's been domestic with you? Like, like she's she's hit you. Um, she's she's choked me and she's um hit me and she tried to hit me about a year ago, um when she was in the ICU because uh both my parents were alcoholics when I was growing up. It's <clears throat> hard. And my mom was just a mean one and she said like she so right now she is currently slowly she has stage four liver failure of cirrhosis um and we just can't get on the transplant list because of one thing or the other and but even then Even then, like when I didn't go to let, for instance, the year that my dad died, I was going through a divorce. Um, that November, two days before Thanksgiving, I had a partial hysterectomy. And, you know, it was like oh, another loss, you know, I don't. Right. Was and, that something that had been causing you harm for a while? Um, so I have lupus. Okay. That was diagnosed to me about 25 and my reproductive organs and my digestive system are the two organs that kind of get complicated with lupus. And uh, I was told that I wasn't going to ever be able to conceive or, you know, if I did, it wouldn't be a healthy pregnancy because of lupus. And I have a healthy five-year-old baby boy that cool nice i mean yeah he's awesome he's he's amazing he's you know um so it was pure accident but you know so the past couple of years or it doesn't seem like it's been two years you know 18 months i lost my mind how so what what do you mean by that I, because I didn't have, my dad was a huge support system of me, of me, of, of my, like I could go to him about anything and every day he texts me and it didn't matter if I text him back, Hey, sweetheart, I love you. You know, he would give the shirt off his back. You know, um, he's a veteran of the, of Vietnam. He AWOLed in Vietnam many times, but they needed men so many times. They gave him an honorable discharge. Nice. Yeah. But he (laughs) said that jail was better than the steam room because it had air conditioning. (laughs) So that's, that's my dad. And then he got out and he is a car junkie. He fixed up cars and would drag race them, him and his sister. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. And his first one was, um, I think a. 69 Chevy and it was called yellow bitch (laughs) (laughs) 
And was it painted so, on the side of the car? It was. It was on. It was on a driver's. I've got it. The photo. Way like, cool. Yeah, it's. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that and uh, yellow bitch. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so he was like in every decade. He lived that decade. You know, um, the hair, the glasses the beard you know and then he moved on to the next decade and he was like the flare jeans and the tuck shirt you know he was just in with it and then uh he gave his you know his life over to, to christ about um probably 15 years ago and ever since then i mean he was still dad you know reckless and loved guns and was preparing for a bunker um is that still around do what is that still around is that the bu I mean, well yeah. i don't um i don't know because him and his best friend since way back in the day they're the only two who know and when we were cleaning out his house which was born the year i was born oh let me tell you there is nothing worse than cleaning out a 35 year old house <laughs> sure um, you got to find uh, everything and anything. I mean, there's a lot of things to stash away in 35 years. I mean, what am I supposed to do with all my stuff? My yearbooks right. and my, like, you know? Yeah, I I, I got that call. Uh, like, I don't know. Like, my mom still has some of my stuff. And she, I'm like, just, I don't need it. And like, so, I don't know. I keep amassing more and more stuff. But I'm trying to get rid of it because, like, if something like that ever happens, like I've gone and had to do stuff like that and clean, clean out people's spaces that have, you know, been there for years and years and decades, and it's just like, how do you get this much shit? And well, it was it's funny because I, I mean, my dad had like a headlamp and like a he, a machete, and I have that, and I like I've got that st stocked in my closet and nice. Yeah, and I inherited. Uh, he was he was a big gun lover, and so um, I got his brand new shotgun. That champagne color. It's never been shot. Whoa! And um, have you shot it? Yes, I took Whoa. it. I took it for some um, rounds, and it doesn't have like a huge kickback at all. I mean, it's it. Like I was just like thinking like daddy i was like this is a perfect fit because you know most shotguns are kind of long you know yeah and, and, I'm if, only, and i'm only five feet so i don't have a lot of oh, room yeah and if you're not holding that thing super tight you're gonna get that kickback yeah but the kickback wasn't really hard it didn't hurt me in the shoulder at all and the length of it i could hold it you know unload it or you know whatever you say and then like shoot and i was like good it was like I wasn't reaching out or struggling to hold it or anything and then I got a one of his um um handgun yeah a handgun a nine millimeter so, so what what was it that or did you like wait around for a while before you went and shot it and if so like what was kind of the moment where you thought I want to go out and shoot these now's the time I gotta got to go out and shoot it um or, or was it some in, insignificant moment that's a good question it was 
I believe it was last summer. So it took me, and I think I did it around his anniversary. Okay. Um, because I couldn't think of anything else, you know, and I wanted to remember him and, you know, I was just like, daddy, here we go. Um, and, but I, I didn't have the scoping, the coping skills to deal with the amount of grief that I was dealing with. You know, it's one thing to grieve the death of your, of a parent. Uh-huh. And then it's a whole other thing to grieve that the person that you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with doesn't only want to be married to you anymore, but now he's fighting you for full custody of your child. Ooh. Um, so what happened there then? Not, not, not what happened, you know, you don't have to tell, tell me that part. But I mean, that's that's a lot, a lot in your plate right there. That's so I was um in the past since I would experienced um paralytic panic attacks. I would be paralyzed for three hours unless I was at the ER and they were giving me a shot of Ativan. What was triggering it? Or do you know what was triggering it? What was triggering it was my anxiety of the loss of my dad and the divorce. Just the grieving. I didn't know how to cope with. It was my PTSD of my abandonment and neglect coming out. Happening all over again. Yes. And I could not. And I had not. It was controlling my body versus me controlling it. And so I had to be um, institutionalized three times. When that happened? Do what? When that happened, you needed to be? Um, I decided the first time around, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't. I was going to the ER like weekly. I... Wow. I just, I, and that wailing that moms talk about when they lose a child, that yeah. was, you know, and I just, I didn't have a lot of support. My mom, um, my sister, she has four kids. Um, I just, I didn't know I was having to learn how to live on my own for the first time um how'd that go it's still going <laughs> oh it's difficult it's difficult and uh I slept with that machete next to my bed for a long time I'll tell you that right now <laughs> because I had to you know I don't think a lot of women talk about this they talk about you know I stepping into their own and they don't need a man but they don't talk about the fact of it's not they don't need a man it's because if they had to step into some masculine shoes that's not necessarily what we're made to do so it took it it takes away a little bit of our feminine side because my first the first you know 
I'm the first line of protection for this house. I don't have a right. husband. I don't have my father. I don't have a man. And, and then it's my child. So it's not just me protecting my home. It's me protecting my child. And that's scary because I depend on, I depend, you know, a lot of women depend a lot on that male figure in their, in their home, whether they like them or, or fighting with them or anything of that nature, they do depend on that first line of defense to be them so that in the meantime, they can gather the children and do what, what not. And right. when you become a single mom, you kind of have to be it, it, the variable. You have to like think on your feet and the variables of what's, what's going to be the best way to handle this situation. Am I going to expose my five-year-old? Am I going to hide, like, you know, hide him or what do you do? You know, it's like what, you know, just depending, like if someone broke into our apartment or um someone was following us while we're outside or just weird things you know that you just you know or you know my apartment um got a couple of notifications that there was a battery situation going on or you know below me there was a couple that was I heard them and I don't do that I don't deal I don't deal with that I don't because of my upbringing. Yeah. And so, so what happens I, then? Um, when the, when I, that I, happens, I, I don't call the police first. I go and I'm like, um, so like, I went downstairs and I'm banging on that door and I said, "You let me in, or I'm calling the police." Because I heard her say, "Stop letting her hand, your hands on me," and I, they have like a little eighteen month year old. And I was like, I just stood there like with my hand on the door. I was like, in my robe, I don't care. Yeah. And, you know, I heard the blinds and I was like, okay, this is how this is going to go. Okay. So I went upstairs, grabbed a cigarette, came back down. And then I was just like posted up around the corner of their door waiting for yeah. them to come out. Cause I knew one of them would come out. And, oh, then yeah. I did, and then I didn't even think about my dog ruining my surprise because I have a French bulldog and he was just <laughs> sitting there the guy opened the door and my dog was like <laughs> and the the guy like slowly closed the door back and I was like ah, you know but um gotta open the door back up yeah no was, I mean I sat on the stairs for another 20-30 minutes and it was quiet it's it's amazing how it was very you know, you don't know what's being hit, what's being thrown, what's whatever. You hear a baby crying, you hear a woman screaming. And then when you knock on that door, it goes absolutely eerie silence. And then I go, how do they make that baby, that 18 month year old, not cry anymore? That's a scary thought. Yeah. Because first I want to take care of that child because she's in a domestic situation and she is being formed in her head because it's what you see what yourself was and when well, to yeah. be able to and, help and out here's, well here's the other thing that people don't even think about my dating life i didn't date anybody but military men and that was what your that was my last 
now is your last dad. Well, military or, and, and and your first your first. Yes. Gotcha. Also, okay. They were but they were also my predators. Which was because she okay, would drop me so... off at the barracks to get babysat. And subconsciously, I didn't know the act of what they were doing was wrong. And she was telling me that they were safe. And you didn't have to wear a military uniform. There was just something subconsciously my mind picked up. I was attracted to my predator because they always took care of me. Because that's what safety looked like to me. I was blown away when my therapist told me that. I was like, and that's why it is so important in those first four to five years that you teach them the correct safety system. And you, you're aware of like how you're speaking to them, how you're loving on them, how you're disciplining them, how you're who you expose them to because they're going to remember. And regardless if it's a memory that they have visually or their body, they'll hold it in their body. Subconsciously, at least. Yeah. Your, because your subconscious but, never forgets anything. No. And when I did start becoming sexually active, which was around 1920. Uh-huh. 1920. Yeah. So for like the last 103 years, <laughs> it's a bad, bad joke. Um, I cried every time I had relations wow. with somebody and I didn't know why but and it was the only way that I felt like I could connect with people because I was, wasn't taught emotional intimacy that was yeah so then I mean so I don't know that's fucking hard that's <laughs> I mean, what what happened like because and I, okay that's what i was gonna say so like when you're i've had this theory that mm-hmm. kind of whatever you wanted to be when you were four years old however you were is really like how you're gonna grow up to be um like that four four or five years old like you were saying like you your your son right now is five years old take note of how he is now and what he's he's learning what everything is that's how he's going to be when he grows up it's um i don't know i don't know how i got to that but i found it very true well when i was you know adopted for that last time that first year i didn't understand that my other mom wasn't ever coming back they never sat us down and explained this was your new family. They kind of just went with the, they'll forget as they get older. So were you and thinking so every day? I, yes. So like I had, my mom's going to come home. Yes. So every day, like wow. when something would happen, I would go, my other mommy does it this way. My other mommy says I can do it. My other mommy, I was constantly going, well, my other mommy. And that year, this is so silly, but it goes with the, the how huge the abandonment, neglect, trauma was, is that the car that they picked us up in 
she went to go sell it. I bought. I bawled. I bawled. Do what? Why was that? Because it was, that was the first, I, I want to say, you know, I saw, you know, kind of that, that was the first, that was a vehicle that they took me from, you know, my second mom and the military. And so to me, it was a sense of safety because it belonged to them and it was taking me, it took me to like a new house with new adventures. So even though I was like upset, I was still kind of excited. It was a very, very versatile dynamic for a kid. It was huge emotions. Um, sure. And so when, the, when she went to go sell it, it was like, it was the last connection I had to my last mommy in a way. And, but also a connection to safety. Right. As you knew it. And mm-hmm. so, um, so then where, where did that go then? Uh, after, after the car is gone? I mean, what, what happened? We what just, happened then? we just, um, my parents just, try to um we found you know we got we're big swimmers and so we got involved in swimming really early um and that had a huge effect on us enjoying our childhood um we should have been in therapy at it that wasn't time, though, it a was thing. Kind of taboo. Yep, it was not a thing, and yeah, it, yeah. But I remember she asked us when we were about seven or eight if we wanted to do a girls' runway show for clothing, and I remember specifically getting this huge amount of fear and asking, "Will there be men there?" Because I immediately, immediately thought of a strip joint club. You knew what a strip club was when you were eight years old? Uh-huh. That's exactly what I pictured when she asked. And I said, no. So had you seen stuff like that before when you were younger that made you think of that? Or was that just something you came up in your head and that, that ended up being what, what this, the strip was club was? That was what came up in my head that just gave me immediate fear was... I imagine me walking down, you know, a dark, what a strip club looks like and men just reaching for me. And so you didn't do it? No, I was not that, no. Because my mom, I was like, you know, she was like, no, honey. I mean, no, you know, she didn't. At that point, that would have been a great way for, you know, or a good moment for if you know that your child has experienced trauma and they ask or they, 
go arm in there at anything and you know that they've experienced that type of trauma, that would have been a great moment for her to, to slide in and go, what, why, why are you thinking that, honey? You know, and kind yeah. of re, re, like reconstruct that and, you know, put a different vision there and slowly retrain the brain at an early age as best as she could for me to not constantly go to that fear of are men going to be there if I display myself are men going to be there so uh, and so I mean when did you realize that I mean did you remember this or is this something that got brought up recently or is that no it's just one of those just it's just one of those pivotal memories that I have that just I have a memory about probably when I was three of what was that that was in my um second home and he told us to go in the living room and I of course didn't listen and I just remember the aluminum foil those like ugly patterns on the kitchen floor and around dining room table and um, a hanging fluorescent light, you know, that's like the church. Um, the stained glass? Yeah, the stained glass. Uh-huh. And it was brown cabinets. And he told us to leave because then he like slapped the fire out of her. Out of who? Um his wife and my mother at the time. Whoa. And so like he did this, uh, you knew he was doing this, but he didn't want you to see it. I'm sure you probably saw it. I'm sure you probably, I assume that you saw it at some point um, Mm -hmm. and it stuck with you. And so, (laughs) wow. Um, And so this time he told you to leave and, I mean, I don't know if it's, yeah, something that he became, you know. It's kind of like you premeditated that. Like, it wasn't like just a, you know. And so that's why I get so um, passionate about that is, you know, I've what I've learned is physically, you can hurt me. I mean, because there's medicine, there's surgery, there's, there is a textbook on, on it. My body must, will scar, but it will heal. My heart and the harm that others do out of their selfishness you can't fix you just have to learn how to cope and how to have a life and not let those moments define who you are you know I'm not Jacqueline with lupus I'm not Jacqueline that you know grew up with domestic I'm not Jacqueline who has a twin like I'm outside of all of these experiences who are you? 
somehow I became a mom and I'm trying to figure out where my maternal instincts are. Um, but who I am is, you know, the one thing was I'm Cole's mom. And I know people are like, don't live for your children. And I'm not living for my child, but he's a miracle. I mean, I was told I could not conceive. And then I did. Lupus didn't attack him. Wow. And he came out healthy and he's funny. And I just think it's karma because I'm like, my ex-husband has to raise him, which is AKA me. <laughs> and <laughs> so, cause we're both like, he's like, well, he doesn't stop talking. And I'm like, That wasn't from you. That was yeah, from me. you know, and he's like, and he's like, Mom, mommy, that's not how you knew it, mommy. And he's bossy, and I'm just like, Ooh, go to your dad's, you know. Uh, but he, that is what, you know, when you have suicidal ideation, you know, and you think, well, you know, why do I have to deal with all of this? Why do I have to? Why did I go through all that? Whatever. Asking why is kind of pointless. It's kind of like, what are you gonna do about it? You're gonna just let it be in your journal or are you going to talk about it and see if other people needed to hear that someone else was brave enough to have a voice about it. And I don't think anybody talks about the fact that you know, predators make predators. And that is one of the one thing that I was very, very scared of that I have recently become comfortable somewhat to say out loud because I know that hiding it was giving my shame power. That's good. Yeah. And there's yeah. not a lot of you that have that reflective part there's not a lot of people who have been in your situation who were just, and there's a lot, they're just so overcome by everything mm -hmm. like you being able to reflect and understand and empathize and under, you know, know what, know what can happen and know kind of the, see the signs to be able to pattern interrupt and mm -hmm. stop stop that yeah it's definitely uh i mean it definitely was a hard road and i'm still a work in progress yeah um but you know my purpose is i was i me with all my faults and all of the pain and all that i was chosen to be cole lincoln's mother me and he is not your average boy he is a trailblazer he is a natural leader he goes into daycare and i'm like cool well you know and he's like what's up bro what's up bro what's up bro and i'm like what is happening here you are five <laughs> you know he's on it and then, you know, and then he's like, mom, it's red. 
And I'm like, I know, you know, I told him, you know, the red and green for, you know, said for safety purposes, but he's literally my backseat driver, <laughs> you know? And so, yeah. but the whole point is when he was around two and three, I got postpartum because I got scared because I was scared that I was going to be a predator to my son. And were these thoughts just in your head or were you it was just talking with thought. anybody? No, I did I wasn't talking. I did I was ashamed that it even came up. Like I was sick to my stomach that I that that thought even was like, what if you because you know, what if what if you do what was done to you? And it just made me sick, you know. But that's something that I don't, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell my husband at the time. I didn't. So nobody understood like why I was so depressed was because I was so scared. And I did retreat a little bit from my son. How so? I just watched my, I was like, it was like, I, I was scared to change his diaper. I was just because. scared that I would, I would just become this other person and just, I mean, it, and I didn't have like thoughts, like visual thoughts of like what I would do. I just, what if I get in this situation and, and I become and something happens and it comes over me and I just don't know what happens. And, and you know, like, I was just, I was just freaking out. And, and my ex-husband is just has no emotional capacity, intelligence to, I was way like, you know, he he's was like, he was like, looking he at he was like, you need to go get this taken care of. You can't be depressed every Christmas. Oh, you mean every Christmas? Because that's around the time period of when a lot of changes happened with always the holidays. What, what kind of changes? Um, you know, it was around that time that we, you know, my birthday's January, Christmas. Um, December, um, and I think around that time, it was around October, something that we got, we were, I think, I believe adopted. And so that just always, it's a change for me subconsciously, like, and I would just get depressed. Um, And, but one thing also that has helped is not only just therapy, but I found that, so I've started modeling. Um, so I've done, you know, art, fine art, and I've done, um, good war. Why do you say, why do you say like modeling? Like, why'd you say it like that? Because I'm not, you know, I, 
it's not I don't I'm not I'm more of like a subject for these photographers um so why doesn't that make you a model because I'm, I'm not I don't know <laughs> it's just weird but like oh model uh not wrong with it not wrong with <laughs> it at all so um for the boudoir one I just was her brand ambassador for a year you were so, her what brand ambassador oh brand so, ambassador okay so every month we would shoot a different theme and on her site that's only for women is how she would promote the theme. What do you mean it's only for women? Is it so does it have like, mm -hmm. it's like it's an invi invitation more, only so, thing? Yeah, it's an invitation only. It's um and it's only for women because women are I mean, you know what boudoir is, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah like not not like full like sometimes it's fully nude sometimes it's it not but be. it's yeah it it's can. at the very least suggestive and you know it's it's yeah i i have a i have some friends who shoot it and um yeah i mean yeah it's so mm -hmm. so you you're doing you're shooting these and so did your uh your friend approached you to do this or was it something that I, you're at a I got, space I, now where you're like i i want to do this i got into it because my husband at the time um confessed to me that he'd been addicted to porn for a year and a half and so you thought that this so is thought, a way okay. to get closer well yeah i was like okay you know what i'm gonna level up as a wife all right uh, I'm not going to ask him like what his fetish is or whatever. Like, I'm not going to embarrass him or shame him, you know? I mean, a year and a half is kind of long, you know, to wait to tell me, you know? But I was like, okay. And so I went out and spent all this money and. On what? On preparing for this shoot. Like, uh, what? Like buying clothes or. Laun you know, your lingerie, the, the paying the photographer um I mean I got a book and like so I was one of her clients at first and she loved my the, the outcome of my photos that she that I signed an agreement to be her ambassador for the next year uh and what's that entail that entails um variations of different um themes outfits locations interacting in the group um what do you do how do you interact in the group just promote you know her you know constantly say like your my experience um when she posts a photo of me or if i post a photo of myself or um a couple of photos that she's done of me were actually accepted at the Oklahoma Emotional Gallery. What is that? So that was a really big deal. Um, it's a collaboration of photos that photographers that a panel uh, about three or four uh, judges um, who are skilled in photography kind of so it's emo it was a, an emotional gallery so they wanted photos that told that drew people in 
to feel an emotion, you know, whatever emotion that was. It was the emotion up to whoever is looking at it or was there an implied emotion? No. So what, I mean, what do you think the people were feeling when they saw your work? I mean, there was a wall of, you know, women that were in different, that were different sizes, shapes and, and things of that nature. And, um, so that's where one of my images went. And then uh, another one was just really simplistic. You know, it just was showing like, just taking this down. And it was just very soft and it still had my wedding ring, but it, you know, it was very soft and subtle. Um, and so it wasn't like really like a sexual one, like the other one was, it was more of just like a suggestive feminine, you know, reach out to your feminine your side and your subtleness of subtleness can be sexy as well. Sure. And so um, so you said you without the ring. I mean, so was that a, a big, I mean, did you, was that like the, one of the first things you noticed when you're looking at these pictures? Um, I mean, is that something that you said that like is a, a big thing having your hand in the picture with the ring? Is that something that? So I only had the, I gave it to him for Valentine's Day and that's the, that's the, that's the first day that he talked about wanting a divorce he threw his mom I had just gotten into a wreck and because I had just finished being autographed photographed by a fine art photographer um where we did a whole day of different themes and with him I've been published in a couple of different things um but he threw my muscle relaxers at me and said he wanted a divorce. And I was just like, okay. What do you mean he threw his muscle relaxers at you? He was, um, he was angry. He didn't like the, he didn't like me modeling. Um, and I told him, you know, I showed him the boudoir book that I made for him. So and you did all this to make him happy. And at, then you showed him, showed him the finished product, and then that that set him off. He didn't like no. that. He was shocked, and then this look of shame came over his face. About, I think he couldn't correlate his fantasy and a wife together. And then how that. I mean, so what well, happened with you then? So, you know, I tried to explain to him how therapeutic it was for me to be photographed because my the other photographer, you know, they, they'll tell you what position to be in sometimes, but a lot of times they'll just say, you know, give me fierce, give me emotionless, give me expressionless, um, you know, give me like, you're turned on, you're, you know, and any and every 
and while you're trying to grab all these emotions out and, and subject them out onto your face, you also are articulating your body into a situation, into you're contouring it to that emotion as well, which is very hard to do because if you're doing it correctly, your body will hurt very bad because, oh. because you have to remember to point your toes. You have to remember like, you know, to look elegant, you can't just, you, you can't just be like, you know, you've got a, it's kind of like a moving sequence to get into a, a position and to kind of, you know, and remember, okay, you don't show the armpit to the whatever and don't, you know, your hair's over here and you just, there's so many things of like, you have to arch your back, you know, so you can see the, the hollowness, but then you've got to arch your neck too. And so there's a lot of arching. And then you got to throw your, your shoulders back and then, you know, and then there's just a lot of movement that people don't think about. And for me, it was a therapeutic experience every time I get shot as a subject because it's energy that I'm exerting that's helping me emotionally become aware that I'm not emotionally completely uh, that I'm comfortable with deep emotions that like I'm comfortable that I can feel and that's the biggest biggest thing is that I can connect with myself because it was only through sex that I had learned how to connect and now that I and pulling this, these emotions out of me, it's just, it's a huge thing for me. And I'm probably not explaining it very well, but I, it just, it, you know, people I draw and I write, but sometimes emotions are so big. Like for right now, I, I, my emotions are so big. I don't have the words to articulate very well. So was it more of a way to get the other part of the intimacy of yourself out into existence? I began, you know, you know, realizing that I loved it as like, I love being a subject. So, um, and I realized that I have a lot of ideas, you know, um, and you know, I would love to be shot with a boa. I would love to be shot on horseback. Um, I've, I've already done the waterfall thing that was freezing cold. And um, <laughs> we hiked yeah. that sucker. We, we started we started hiking at like 3.30 to get to sunrise. And we went down the wrong path because there was no lights at first. And that was really good. Uh, wow. And then people started showing up around nine <laughs> and I'm still changing. So, but, uh, yeah. you know, I'm just, I'm up for it. You know, I was like, Hey, pull over here. It's wheatgrass. You know, let me change real quick. I got, I had a, you know, a black fedora hat and I brought, you know, like a soft pinkish two piece 
and I had just, you know, a button up that was kind of loose and I just unbuttoned it, put the, and I had just fallen into the lake because she tried to shoot me on a limb that didn't work. And, um, my, so my hair was kind of like wet and wavy and tousled. And so I sat in the grass was taller than me, but it's like that wheat color. Yeah. And then I smoked sometimes. So I got a cigarette and I just, that's one of my favorite photos is caught you in your element. Yeah. Like I just, you know, being jacks. Yeah. Just random. Like I'm like, let's just, you know, throw me out of the field. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that tells you something. <laughs> Whatever you're doing. I mean, at the club, I mean, so with any sort of performance art, um, the best version of anyone is themselves cranked up to 11. I mean, just whatever you are, it's like that, just all the way up was what you are. I mean, it's what you know the best. It's the, it's the way you can act the best, you know, and you're not making, you're just really exaggerating the points that are you already. And so you kind of just are, you're there, you're in your element and being in your element is, I mean, it's powerful. You can do whatever then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, what's, what's next then? So if uh, you, you got, you got, you got your shooting, um, and yeah. And I, you know what, like, I don't know, get this, get this out. Like, uh, I don't know if you're comfortable sharing it. I mean, like the last fucking hour of what you told. I mean, that's the fuck, that's a dork. I mean, you can go, uh, yeah, if, if, you, if you want, you can go out and go do live speeches. If you want really? to do live speeches. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I mean or a I podcast. You, yeah, yeah, I want to let do a people podcast, know. But it's like, you know, what do I focus on? You know, because I want to be funny. I want to be my quirky self. I don't want it to be, you know, so, you know, I'm kind of thinking of like just jacks or um, unapologetically, authentically, inappropriately jacks. I mean, I don't know. Um, I, yeah, be funny when you need to be funny. When you want when it's the time times right to be funny. I mean, uh you don't have to be funny all the time. No, no. I mean and there's there's also humor in in tragedy. Yes, there is. Mm-hmm. There is. That's the place most humor comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, another thing is uh I learned that a lot of my personality traits are a accumulation of safety features that I instilled in myself to protect me. Oh, and cool. so I'm kind of like, for instance, I thought it was just, you know, part of my personality, you know, humor, for instance, is a distraction method. And that's, um, also 
I, when I go into a restaurant or any facility, I habitually am just, I, I can read a crowd. I look at everyone. I know where the exit is. I know, you know, what, you know, I assess each table or assess each group or, you know, I can. So are you back to the wall? Everywhere you go? Back to the wall, facing the front. Mm -hmm. And um, I can hear five different conversations at once. You know, people have tried to bully me and underestimate me and it's been like a waste of their time, but I, I'm not catty. I'm just resilient and I will put you in your place when the time is a time is appropriate uh, and you're ready to be put there because not really many people think about the receiving end of that. So what do you mean there? So that, you know, I was being bullied uh, by a girl for the first time at work. And it got to the point where, you know, and I didn't say anything because it was a new job and they didn't know me. So I didn't have anything to stand on or they a personality work ethic nothing you know so but i'm hearing she's saying this she said this she's saying that and i'm just keeping my mouth shut because i don't know who's the enemy i don't know who's a friend of me i know i don't have any friends but i need a job so i'm just i'm just gonna be here i'm just gonna be here um it got to the point where you know one day i had to move cubicles because the other person didn't feel comfortable even though she wasn't in a cubicle she was in the front desk we didn't see each other and i just said okay didn't say anything about who did you know didn't nothing i was just like okay and then after moved cubicles this girl came up to me and she said you don't walk in the front you walk in the back and i just went okay uh oh and it sounds like you're setting up for something there you know yeah I'm just I'm just letting her just do her thing you know and I had women walk by my cubicle and like people I mean I'm not you know and um it just got to the point where I wanted to you know, sleep with this person. And I was like, I've never even met that person, you know? And like, it, it just, you know, and yeah. then she decided to get ballsy and address me in the middle of everybody Ooh. of claims and customer service. That's your time to shine. And she was like, I know you like attention and blah, 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 but everyone has told you to be quiet. We had just gotten out of a meeting. I wasn't talking. I said, you know what? Hold that thought. And I went to my supervisor and I said, I need to talk to you right now. Because I was like, if she's at the point now 
where she wants to address the situation and make it a kumbaya organization, we'll make it a kumbaya. Okay? Well, we'll make it kumbaya. And, um, you know, and I told my supervisor, like, I'm so sorry this is happening. I know you don't know me that well. I have nothing to stand on. You know, and she, she said, the reason why I believe you, and this is very important, is because the only thing I have heard has been repeated as I heard from Becca. Becca said, Becca heard, Becca saw. She said, not once have I heard anybody say anything coming from your mouth or anybody witnessing you doing something. The source is all Becca. And that is why I believe you. And so it, be patient, ladies. When you get stuck in a corner and you're being, you know, stick it out because I had every right because then her husband sent to HR um, a fake picture of my boobs saying that I sent them to him saying that I wanted to have sex Wait, with him. So she, her, her, so her the, husband, the husband sent this to yes. your job, which yes. has nothing to do with your yes. job at all. Yes. You know, you know who, so, okay. So I, so, so what, I, what, I mean, so did he, was he in trouble with something else and trying to divert something or was he, or Becca just a bitch? She just, I have, I have no idea because I'd only met him one time when I opened the wow. door to let their little five month year old baby in. Like, I, I don't even know, I don't remember his name. Okay. I don't, there was nothing. But the fact that he got involved, the fact that he like was, you know, so we went to HR. Um, before all this, or oh, no. Becca had been my friend. So I knew a little bit of her psych history. Um, and working in psych, I had referred her to see a, a psych, the, the psychiatrist that she does see. And, um, but she would also call me in the evenings and leave me voicemails. Oh. Um, they were nice or they weren't. So HR, they're just like, um, if this doesn't stop, someone's gonna lose their job. I said, well, I'm gonna go to AT&T and I will get you the records to show I don't have that number. I said, uh, do we have a lawyer here? And they said, yes. And I said, okay. And after that, um, I have enough evidence that I will sue her for defamation of character. Wow. And so that's the thing is, if you're done wrong, know your law because I almost reported the ER at Baptist, <laughs> the whole shift uh, for just, it was Father's Day. I was having an episode 
and it's like a restaurant, you know, they're talking in the ER, but they're having that behind the scenes talk, like, why is it rush hour? Why is it da, 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 da? And I hear organ donor, organs just flew, not flown in, cardiovascular on a motorcycle wreck. Um, um, the ER is full. They've got um, cardiac arrest in another room. Um, and then these little four little bitty new nurses were like, the guy on floor six won't take our patient. And they were like, mama bear. And I kind of like looked over here, you know, at this and I'm like, and I have a mask on and I'm trying to like calm myself like I'm still on a gurney they saw me strapped and mama bear calls up they were like oh mama bear is gonna get it done mama bear is gonna get it done and I was like oh usually when mama bear when they're called mama bear like that let's see what she does oh so she called up to floor six and she made the mistake of forgetting that people in the ER are not deaf. Okay. And she said, if I could deny every patient that came through ambulance into my ER, which that was me, because I needed my Ativan and I could and they didn't need to be in my ER and I could turn them away, I would. Whoa. And then she's supposed to take care of you? I went, because working in, in, in psychiatric care, first of all, for five and a half years, now I work for an insurance company. I medical no 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 I don't care how you feel mama bear should have never said that because she was teaching her baby bears very bad poor work ethic and conditioning of thought and poor workman skills as a team and I yelled I said, you, mama bear. I yanked my, my mask down. I'm like struggling with my things on the guard. And I said, you, I said, you all need to remember, you all went to school to be a nurse. You all pledged, made that vow that you would serve, honor, protect, and take care of those in need. You practice this field. And today you chose to work for that day, for that time and a half. I said, I know you got a lot going on. You got an organ coming in. There's a motorcycle accident from a cardiac arrest. Someone else has got cardiovascular issues. And if you could stop repeating that over here, rush hour, ma'am, oh, that'd be great. Cause daddy died of that. Okay. And I just need you to stop repeating it. And, and I said, and baby bears, I would stop listening to your mama bear because mama bear, if you could deny everybody that came through an ambulance in your ER, guess what? I'm sure they would deny services from you as well with that type of attitude. Nice. Yeah. And I said, I will report wow. this whole shift 
to the Arkansas Medical Board for lack of conduct, empathy, and um, and they said, and I said, what do I have to do to get taken care of? I said, you, you want me to hurt myself? I can hurt myself. You, you got some scissors? Like, I just, I just need an Ivan shot. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, I've just been over here panicking, uh, you know, just, just trying to breathe, but you gotta, you know. And then she said, ambulance, uh, um, EMTs or paramedics, get your patient back on the gurney. We will take, we will service you. And I said, you will not because I know my patient rights and I get to deny you but that's not your right because you're a nurse. And then wow. this one, this little girl rolled up to me and she goes, will you sign this? And I said, does it get me a room? And she said, yeah, they put me in the ER jail cell. What is that? It's a jail cell that's uh, smells like urine, cement wall, cement floor, camera, blue pad with a security officer outside the door. Wow. But I got my Ativan in 20 minutes. Do they keep you in there then after you got that? No, they rolled me out and you could hear a pin drop. It was quiet. Because whenever you, whenever you go and say, I will report you to the Arkansas Medical Board. I will report you to so they know that you know what they know. And that scares them. Yeah. Because that's I not bet. a threat. That's a that's a, a threat that can be followed through because I didn't need names. I could just say this shift. Yeah. Okay. Um, whew. Well. <laughs> so I'm so, like, you know, I, I'm feisty, but I know how I don't use it in a, like, I'm street smart, but I'm also, you know, you know, I've made a man, one of my girlfriends, I've made her, her fiance go running, crying home to his mama. You know, because he pushed her because he was being domestic. And she called me and I was like, on my way. You've seen this and it's you want to stop. However, that can you can do it. You don't want yeah. someone else what do what you did or be in the situation you were in. Yeah. Like I, you know, I will. I mean. Nobody really taught me about mace. Like, get the gel kind, okay? And because, or because it can air back on you, apparently. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. Learn that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you learned that. Like, you learned that. Because, like, you did it, or yeah. You I that. well, I was I spray maced him. It was my third attempt to get him to leave us alone, and he finally, you know, I was like, okay, when I stand up, he's either gonna punch me, push me again or something. And so, you know, I played ball, basketball growing up. People don't believe me. They always think I was a best cheerleader or something, but I'm, I was scrappy. And, sure. um, and 
I always knew, you know, where their feet are is where they're going to go. That's what dictates ultimately, not where their eyes or their hands, it's their hips and their feet. And uh, his feet were right in front of me because he had knocked me down. And I was on my, on my things and I'd already utilized my pocket knife a little bit. And yeah, it wasn't used. It was, um, he brought out. Yeah. He, when I, when I came over, he came up to me and did the whole man to man bump thing. Whoa. But like I'm five feet. So you know how that went? Like my head like bumped off his chest. Right. Right. It was kind of like, how did you think that was going to go? And I immediately just went for my dad's pocket knife and slapped it open and reared it back like that. And I just said, if you touch me or, you know, my girlfriend, one more time, I'm going to gut you like a fish. Sure. It was the only thing I can come on. I don't know. You're going for the, the scream reference. Yeah, uh, I was like, you know, like, because she he had poured liquor on her. Like, he, she'd been going through this, like, for a couple of hours at this point. Wow. And he was like, he raised his shirt. And he was like, gut me. Gut me then. He was like, you passed the threshold. And I looked down. I had one foot over. And I was like, you right. And I took it back. And I was like, now what? And um, so he walked inside, he was like, and then me and Jared had stayed outside. And then that's when he pushed us down because he heard us talking, I guess. And um, so I took my mace out of my left pocket and I switched it behind me to my right and slowly started standing up. And then when I stood up, I pulled him down from his shirt. So he was level with me. And then I just maced him really good and nobody told me to be like wind check is that blo- like are we gonna blow in the right direction okay we're not okay because it went in here but it also was like <laughs> and i was like oh my god i need visual i need and i was like spitting spitting and i'm like and i like i see him running a- in the neighborhood i'm like jara and, I'm in, and I, he's trying to i don't know it was just like and then finally i got visual and he comes back with his mom um and that was a whole other thing and i was like i said you bring him liquor you bring him money you give him a drug run i said i will get your license plate and put it on every cop's list for just distribution of drugs and she said, don't call the cop. We're leaving. We're leaving. And uh, he, as they were leaving, he goes, I'm going to sell you to Southeast Asia. And I said, it's Pacific Islander, you dumbass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if you're going to insult me, do it right. Okay. Pacific Islander. <laughs> You kind of need to do that at some point. It's <laughs> you just gotta be like, yeah, you're gonna do it at least, yeah. And then, I, what what can he say to that? Like, well, fuck. Yeah, she. I mean, he was like, he was like, nah, nah, nah. you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, he's good. He's he went to treatment and um, he behaves now. And when he's not and doesn't, he calls me. He's like, I can't get Jared to like, you know. And I'm like, 
F1. So this is how this is. He's scared of me. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> it'll, it's, uh, it'll get you. Um, and sometimes, sometimes you gotta be ready to just get back. Sometimes, sometimes life comes at you and sometimes you just gotta get back. Yep. Sometimes you gotta get back. And then, yeah, I don't know. You gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. And when you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes, a lot of the time you're kind of on high alert and adrenaline is always pumping and it's a lot harder to make decisions that are not based on a fight or flight response and I think I've been living in fight or flight for so long that I'm able to react in a protective manner while being aware of the consequences the subject the situation at the same time like for yeah. instance when my mom raised her hand to pop me in the hospital um I immediately went into that you know because I've had to I've had to learn how to fight um past couple, couple years and um I instantly just went into that form like my my stance I was like okay I'm, mm -hmm, okay you yeah all right and then it dawned on me this is my mom's face and when she went like this I was able to unfold these and get her hands before she caught me but she caught my arms but um she was like good thing that we had a third party a counselor in there she went to go get the police and she goes you just showed your ass you're gonna get in so much trouble and I just sat in the chair and I was like okay mom and they came and they came and they're like so uh, what seems to be the problem and I, I hate when they do that like you're answering the call you know what's happening right just come in and be like all right we heard there was a little bit of a tip for tap happening you know like why do we yeah. gotta tell you and um I was like, I don't know, mom, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna do this one? And um, my mom was just like, I want her to leave my room right now. So I had to leave the room. And uh, they asked me if I wanted to press charges because I had the physical evidence. And the counselor reiterated, like backed up my story. And I was like, no, I'm not gonna put put charges on my mom in the hospital. Like, but you all saw what happened, right? Okay, because I you I need you all as witness, like she gets crazy. Okay. So So if it happens again, there's some record. Yes, it'll be on her record because um it's on record with her transplant team. Yeah. Um, 
Well, shoot. So, I mean, there there's a lot a lot here that we've talked about in the last yeah. last little bit, and you know, um, thank you for telling telling your story and um yeah i'm happy we got to do this and i mean so if you got you got someone out here that's been listening for yeah you know whatever uh a hundred minutes um and what do you want what do you want to say to that person so to that individual, I would just say thank you for receiving me, my truth. I hope that you walk away feeling that you do have power within you and the things that you can control, you can control them, but recognize what you can't control. And a reaction is sometimes not always necessary. Timing is important, but I will just say that I hope that you get a lot of positivity out of my story and that it, it it makes you believe that there is hope in people and that not everybody is playing the victim card. Not everyone is walking around going, oh, poor pity me. People actually wanna do things and be people. And you know what? Live the life. You understand, you understood the assignment. I like that. Um, cool. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And so do you, I mean, you want people to get a hold of you or yeah, if they want yeah. to reach out to you, how are they going to reach out to you? So, um, so I've got a TikTok handle. handle. Um, you're, that, you're a TikToker. Oh, my goodness, yes. Okay, I'm gonna have to see what you're TikTok and uh oh, us, yeah. us, us uh, I... over 30s, 40s people up on TikTok. I'm always curious to see what other people are doing. Oh, yeah, please do. Please okay. do. Um, it's at Jax Ella Marie. Okay. I'll... And um and then my Instagram and my Facebook is just Jacqueline underscore Ella. Um, and Jacqueline is the long 10 letter, which is J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E. All right, cool. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll throw those down uh, in the description here. And so, yeah, everybody, thank you so much for for listening. And Jax, thank you again for being on. And I'll... I'm going to stay on here after I, I end this. I got to, I got to talk to you for a minute here. Um, okay. uh, yeah. And everybody, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that 
is the show, man. Thank you.